0: You know, when you live with somebody a long time, you, th- you think you have them uh, figured out, or you know them, and then you read something like this, and you suddenly realize, and, and, and then you're suddenly reminded that they are a, an unfathomable genius, and an exciting mystery. Yeah. Okay. I said that on Facebook already but don't uh, don't hold me to that but you know Mimi Pond what a name you know it's it's it has that magic one two punch like Boris Day <laughs> Ma- May West or Matahari you know it's a name bound for glory you know and what a glory her story is man this genius blue collar kid from San Diego <laughs> I, uh, uh, Oakland art school waitress dropout transforms herself into the toast of New York City I mean this doesn't come along very often you know um, I I had all this other information but the guy already said it all but jeez uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, she went to New York, and suddenly it was like New York Times, National Lampoon, Village Voice, Red Book, Vogue, 17, Valley Girls' Guide to Life, Secret to the Powder Room. Through sheer guts and talent, she reinvented herself and invented herself through comics, essays, and books, and became a hilarious and truth-telling voice of her generation.
1: You're making me blush.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then came uh, Hillbilly Wayne. The Simpsons, Pee-wee's Playhouse, Designing Women, Los Angeles, Baby Woodrow, Baby Lulu, Houses, Mortgages and Schools. And now it's the new century. And it's full of new chapters. I mean a lot of new chapters because Mimi has just created a two-part graphic novel masterpiece. The first one's called Over Easy. And the second one is, why we're here tonight, it's called The Customer is Always Wrong. She's unstoppable. Ladies and gentlemen, an unfathomable genius and an exciting mystery, my love, Minnie Pons.
1: Thank you so much. Isn't he great? He's the greatest. He is absolutely the greatest. Um, I'd like to ask a favor. Could somebody give my dad a seat? He just came in and he, he could probably use to sit down. Thanks a lot.
2: You never down. Okay.
1: I could ask you guys to do anything right now, and you'd do it. <laughs> How are y'all doing tonight? Oh, is that better? All right, I'm gonna work this thing. There we go. I think that'll be good. All right. How many of you have read over easy? Good here And this is just the continuation of the story. I don't know how many of you know, but um, hey, Vanessa, um, another great cartoonist. Um, this story was always meant to be one full story. It was just happened to be divided into parts because it was so overwhelming to think about working on it that um, uh, Chris Oliveros at Drawn and Quarterly suggested that we split the book into two parts, which made it much more manageable. Um, but it was always meant to be one entire story. So with that, I think I'll just start with two selections. Okay. I've got four months of clippings of my cartoons stacked up. I'm going to submit them to magazines in New York. I've already composed a cover letter. I start making a stack of my best work. Finally sleepy, I go back to bed and drift off. The next morning, I awaken refreshed, just knowing what I have to do is an enormous relief. I organize my clippings neatly on the coffee table and head out the door. I'm only dimly aware of a strange car at the curb until... Three men emerge and race towards me. It's so unbelievable, it's almost comic. But it's not funny at all. Especially after they force me back into the house. Where is he, stupid whore? I'm not gonna ask again. Tell us, who? Where's Neville? Where's Bluto, fat bitch? Ow! I'm such a baby, so unused to physical violence. Always been treated so tenderly. I should have been toughened up before. I should have known. Why couldn't I be better prepared? Aw, oh, man, now look what you have done. You done got her freaked out. I'm fat. I'm bad. I'm dead. Mommy, I love you. I don't want to die. <laughs> Bitch, all we want is Pluto and your boyfriend Neville. I do I couldn't find nothing else. No one else living here. Neville. Holy shit. I didn't know. Why, I don't know why I didn't just direct him next door. But then it comes to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't fuck with us. We know you're Neville's girlfriend. Wham. Oh. Somehow, this strikes a nerve. I'm not anyone's girlfriend. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't know who you're looking for, but it's not me. I'm a cartoonist! This makes them laugh. Me too. You mean like Saturday morning? Hey man, I like that Speedy Gonzalez. he cracks me up. Not animation, like comic strips for newspapers. Oh yeah, what newspapers? Um, By some miracle, here. The spectator, dude, your favorite. Hey, let me see. Behind him, out the window, Camille leaves her house. Hey, I know this cartoon. This is good, man, you do this, you're funny. She does good. Julio, you didn't find nothing? Nada. You know man, I do cartoons. Is it hard to get in the newspapers, man? Cause I got this idea about this drug dealer who's a superhero. (laughs) Perfecto, we ain't got time for that shit. Hey, you like the Freak Brothers? Uh, And who's that other dude, Art Crumb? That's some wild shit, man. (laughs) Come on, man, we're wasting time. Tito finds out he's gonna fuck us up. You don't tell nobody, we can always come back. Don't scare her, man, she's an artist. Shut up. (laughs) After they leave, I'm almost giddy. I pick up the phone. But when I hear Oakland police, I hang up. What you do before you call the cops. Laszlo's poem, I should tell him first. He'll know what to do. I need to warn Camille. I wash my face. I'm still alive. I can't understand suddenly why my face seems so puffy. Then my breath comes haltingly. I start to sob. I crumple to the tile. Racking sobs, sharp inhaling breaths until I'm finally able to stop. So, that's one selection. But wait, there's more. Oops. Okay. I decide I need a new point of view. To that end, I've made some new friends. They're customers, but they're nothing like most of the people around here. They fascinate me. Phyllis, it turns out, is really friendly. I love your dress, it's so dust bowl. (laughs) Even though I'm a waitress and they obviously have money, she seems eager to be my friend. We don't want anyone but you to wait on us. Phyllis and Mitchell address each other in a very specific, stoned, hippie, sing-songy baby talk as though they're trying very hard to be the rock and roll Nick and Nora Charles. (laughs) (laughs) We need to go get our chakras adjusted again, Munchie. Boo Boo, wow, you are like psychic, seriously. I should be repelled. Instead, I have to find out more about them. They seem to have always just gotten back from Maui. You haven't been? You have to go. They, s- they have front row seats for the Grateful Dead on New Year's Eve. Amazing! They buy all their clothes at Wilkes-Bashford. I'm going through a big Calvin Klein thing right now. It's true. Neither appears to have a regular job. When they express an interest in seeing my work, of course I show them my slides. Far out, incredible. It's like Diebenkorn meets Hopper. (laughs) This is exactly what I've been waiting for someone to say. Do you have a gallery? Do you think if I had a gallery, I'd still be working here? Mitchell, you know what we should do? We should buy some of Madge's drawings. They agree to come over to see my work that very afternoon. After showering and changing out of my work clothes, I arrange my favorites around the living room. Everything seems suddenly very shabby. What a cute place. I know she's just being polite. Oh wow, the colors really glow. I know why Mitchell likes that one. It's not true, I just like the colors. He likes it because it says drugs. Huh, I know. I don't know what they're talking about. Let's do some coke. Phyllis? Oh, can I just close these? Oh, wow. Where'd you get these crazy curtains? A few lines later, pretty soon we're motor-mouthing it on a variety of topics. From thrift stores, to lamps of the 1950s, to just what an incredible artistic genius I am. (laughs) Phyllis and Mitchell buy three pastel drawings for $200 each and pay me in cash. This calls for another toot. (laughs) Then they decide I should join them at Berkeley's fanciest restaurant, Chez Panisse, for dinner. They leave, and I find myself in a whirlwind of coked-out excitement. This puts me $600 closer to the $2,000 I've decided I will need to move to New York. By the time I meet them at Chez Panisse, the coke has worn off. I'm exhausted. During a lag in the conversation, Mitchell, what do you do? What do I do? What do I do, Phyllis? Mitchell's in sales. That's it, sales. Uh, How'd you guys meet? I was standing in line for Steely Dan tickets at the Fillmore East. He had hair down to his ass. So did she. I was thinking, who's this foxy chick? And she asked if she could cut in front of me. I only did it because not only was he cute, he looked like he had drugs, and she was right. (laughs) I have a feeling this is not the first time they've related this. I'm going to the bathroom. Madge, come with me. I haven't had this much blow since I started working in the restaurant. This must be so expensive. It's okay, Mitchell kind of deals it, you know? That's like his job. But don't tell anyone, okay? Now the evening seems young again. They decide I should come up to their home in the Oakland Hills. Do you like Tom Petty? Sure. Let's have some more champagne. Would you like to see my collection of antique textiles? Sure, they're in a wall safe in Mitchell's office. We have to wear protective gloves. This one's over 800 years old. It looks like the most worn out potholder I've ever seen. It's like holding history in your hands. It was woven by Persian nomadic tribeswomen of the 13th century. How do you get a hold of something like this? Oh, there's dealers out there for everything, not always strictly legal. I expect to see more brownish bits of old rug, but instead, Mitchell doesn't like me to get into his good stuff, but how can I resist? How can I resist? Why would I? My teeth feel like they're vibrating. Soon I feel superhuman. Suddenly, Phyllis gets confessional. i thought about leaving Mitchell. I, he, I know he goes to whores sometimes. The last time I found out about it, I told him I was leaving him, and he t- took me to Wilkes-Bashford, and I got like 10 pairs of Maude Frizzans. <laughs> what, are, what are Maude Frisons? Huh, shoes, really expensive shoes. I think it really freaked him out. I can't believe she's telling me this stuff. I realize suddenly Phyllis is waiting for me to share some equally lurid secret. I can't match that, so every boyfriend I've ever had buys me books instead of shoes. Where am I going wrong, Phyllis? <laughs> you are so funny. Do you consider yourself a humorist first or an artist? I'm taken aback. No one has ever called me a humorist before. I'm simultaneously flattered and dismissive. We are both so high. <laughs> Our intimate moment, thank God, is passed. Let me show you something else. So Mitchell bought me this set of antique limoges, Nice, it is nice. White, simple, elegant, edged in gold. The gold, I think it's kinda tacky, so I've been trying to scrape it off. (laughs) I look down to see this. Just that took me like three hours. Service for 12, it's a project. Oh wow, is that the time? I have to work tomorrow. You do? Oh, she calls upstairs, darling, Madge is going home. She has to work tomorrow. She says this like she thinks it's funny. You know why we call each other honey and darling? Why? Because there's so many worse things we could call each other. <laughs> oh, Mitchell looks like, for all the world, like a 50s dad, Ozzie Nelson, the Coke dealer. Good night, Madge. And that's it. Thank you. So where do we go from here? Questions? Would you help me field questions, Wayne?
0: This is Mabel Brown. Come on, it's a real life cartoonist, ladies and gentlemen. Talk to a real life cartoonist. (laughs)
1: Janice, yes. Maybe, why don't you tell us how long this took me to do Because it's quite an amazing effort and book, and all all what goes into it is. Okay. um, Well, I initially conceived of it well I'll tell you I from the day I went to work in this restaurant in 1978 I knew this was a story that like lodges, lodged itself in my gut and it just wasn't going to go away and I, I, I didn't know what the story was for a very long time um, I'm sorry what
2: oh <laughs> and
1: and for years, I kicked around uh, notes and and lists of characters and, you know, certain episodes I remembered and nothing was happening and then uh, finally there was a certain inciting incident that happened that um, made it crystal clear exactly what was going on, and I don't want to give it away, but um, it made it easier to begin on it. And by that point, I lived in Los Angeles, and uh, I had thought about doing it as a screenplay. But I'd lived here long enough to to know that even if I wrote a screenplay, the possibility of it being produced was slim to nothing. And then I thought, well, I couldn't possibly do it. I'm a cartoonist, but I couldn't possibly do it as a, a graphic novel because that would be crazy. <laughs> that would just be nuts. That's like like that's like no so I decided I would approach it as a conventional piece of fiction so I did do that and I started in about 1998 uh, and I that took me off and on because we were raising two small children about uh, five or six years, and I, I showed it. I gave it to my agent, and he couldn't sell it. And eventually, I had to break down and realize that it wanted to be a graphic novel. So, um, starting in about 2008, I began uh, working on it on pages uh, of the graphic novel, and. Um, in 2009, I showed it to Tom Devlin at Drawn and Quarterly, and they agreed to publish it. So, then, from so from 2008 to uh, last year, I was. Actively drawing, I, I I was able to get a lot more done after both our kids were out of the house.
0: That's so. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, in in that time, I I have been doing projects all over the country. I, I travel around and do these big installations at museums and art spaces, and Mimi goes with me, and she brings the whole thing with her, and she's at she's either off in a studio space that we have got for her on the installation side, or she's back at the hotel room working her ass off so she's like it's practically like we're on the high seas and she's like uh, still drawing and drawing and drawing <laughs> so and drawing. <laughs> we have been art vagabonds since 2009 and she she brings her comics stuff and i do my sculpture stuff and
1: york pennsylvania shreveport louisiana wichita kansas uh, nantucket, nantucket. Uh, well else? we
0: um key west key west. Key
1: west that's right
0: um uh, 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 Cativa Island, right. the Ra- Robert yeah. Rauschenberg residency. <laughs> residency. Um, that so, thing has been drawn all over the country.
1: I can I can recommend this as a way to get work done because if you go away someplace where there's nothing to do but work, the chances are that you will get work done. Especially in a place like Shreveport or Wichita, where are like, <laughs> you know, the options are decidedly limited.
0: <laughs> and these are grim situations. Sometimes it's not easy working in a hotel room. You know, try it sometime, you know. It takes guts.
1: (laughs) Gee, really? Yeah,
0: (laughs) fortitude.
1: So I would say like a good, you know, uh, 16 years, (laughs) off and on. Yes, Aaron.
2: So what I liked about the first book, and, and just from what I heard just now, was how you captured um, the cases and the vocabulary of that time period. So I was wondering, did you take notes, or because I mean I was alive at that time and I forget, so I find it really fun to like get back into it. So how did you? Read? Well,
1: I a lot of a, a lot of what I was doing was making a lot of trips back to Oakland and visiting with with friends who I had. I had worked in the restaurant with who all of all of them had stories that they were very generously shared with me and I also had a correspondence going with um, the the real life Laszlo um, and he after I left for New York in 19 actually left for New York in 1982 um, he co- he and I corresponded and he told me of about All this crazy stuff that was happening in the restaurant. So, I also lifted some of those stories as well. So, um, but you know, there's there's just something. I mean, anyone who lives through that lived through that times knows how different it was. People talked differently and and uh, used decidedly what we would consider politically incorrect terms (laughs) of many kinds. And that's just the way it was. You know, you can't go back in time and chide these people. It's just the way it was.
0: And what's the real name of this place?
1: Oh, it's Mama's Royal Cafe in Oakland at 40th and Broadway.
0: It's still a great restaurant. It's still a great restaurant. Incredible breakfast. But it's
1: about to be sold. So um, I'm not sure when the new owners are taking over and I'm not sure what they're gonna do with it. But you should get there. any other questions
2: yeah
1: oh thanks well I think I think I, I well um, <laughs> you mean like read along with <laughs> <laughs> well, and you'd miss out you'd miss out on all the the visuals though.
0: That's an interesting uh, uh concept though of, of separating the the text from the images. It, well, there it, that that the uh, points out how Totally integrated. The text and the images are what a unique medium comics are. You know, you can't break it down. You know, it's this special alchemy that it can only happen on the page. You know. Vanessa. I
1: I think that she raises a really interesting question, and
2: I know that you were working from the script while you were writing the book. Well,
1: I was working from the novel I wrote. Yeah.
2: I, I think that. How did you? Uh, it seems like a lot of work in itself just to translate it from a prose document into a comic document, because there is so much that has to be expressed through expressed visually.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I had to go through pages, you know, paragraphs of lovingly crafted descriptions of things and just go, (laughs) 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 you know, I'm gonna draw that. I mean, and in my head, I I already knew what everything looked like anyway. So that part was kind of easy because I I'd already visualized it in my head and then like the, you know, writing and describing it was actually more work than, in some ways, than drawing it.
2: Did you find yourself editing things because I often, I do it with fiction, where a fiction writer can just say, "He, you know, he brought out the most beautiful." base I'd ever seen or something and if you do it in a confident comic then you have to actually draw the most beautiful it to somehow indicate that it's so you know for the things that you just left out you remember leaving out because
1: they were like I don't want to draw them like <laughs> no, no not so much that there were there were a couple other peripheral characters that got tossed by the side of the road that that weren't really necessary there were too many boyfriends <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Too many parties, too many pals. You were
1: a waitress. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn and Mar- his wife Martha are original customers of <laughs> mine from <Ontario. laughs>
0: And what? You were always
1: wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you something about the process. I remember when you were doing over easy, correct me if I have this wrong, but you were well into it when you discovered that you had to do the color separation.
1: I wasn't. I wasn't really that far into it. I was only about 30 pages into it. 30. They, that's all. <laughs> well, out of you know. Yeah. 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 Which made it. I had to separate the line work from the the green tones. Which is
0: watercolor. Which
1: is watercolor, and uh, I don't work on a computer, so I had to do it with a LED light box with. Uh, The Bristol board drawing underneath, and a piece of of thin watercolor paper on top of that, and in the dark, and lay in these tones, and just like hope I was getting it right.
0: So (laughs) it's it's really twice as many
1: pages. Yeah. 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 So how did you decide on that color? I just liked it. I I yeah, it looked good with my skin because I no, I just liked it. I don't know. It just, uh, it just felt right. Yeah.
2: Are any of the fictionalized people in the book, any of them contact you? Uh-oh.
1: <laughs> no. Good <laughs> question. Um, I would don't say... Don't, don't. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. 99% of everyone has loved it so far. Of course, uh, they haven't seen the second half, which the customer is always wrong, which gets a lot darker, so I'll have to get back to you on that. But they loved the first book. They sure did. Yeah, back here in the red. You're gonna have to speak up. I'm sorry, I couldn't.
0: (laughs)
2: So many <laughs> Why is <it> so- oh. <laughs> that's
1: that's what it that's just what that the story just sort of told me what I had to do so you know it it's just in terms of in terms of, of pacing pacing it I it it just wanted to be that way, yeah yeah, I mean it's kind of like storyboarding a movie, I mean, you know you it is yeah,
0: I mean she you, you practically made it into a movie, you know, you wrote a novel, then you made a movie out of it
1: it is it is doing a graphic novel is very much like like uh, being your own director, screenwriter, uh, cinematographer set. Set decorator um, casting agent casting agent um, act actors and actresses costumer you're like you're do you're you're the whole thing, so which is you know more i I would have to say more gratifying than working in movies because so many you know most things never even get made, and then when they do they're a horrible struggle on the other hand, if anyone wants to you know option this... <laughs> Yeah. So, do you keep yourself motivated when you're, you know, a whole crew in one and also taking a couple of years to come to an agenda? Well, I mean, you know it just was it's this is kind of like the project of a lifetime for me it's i mean there's more motivation in this than in many other things i could have chosen this is like the the thing i had to do before i died in fact there were a number of times where i found myself like in close calls with like almost traffic accidents and i'd think oh my god i've got to finish this book before i die <laughs> so um it was just very important to me so I was you know I've always just been very motivated with it but um, well she's
0: always been motivated she's a very hard worker well doing tenacious
1: doing a story like this also it's you know it has a momentum of its own so and it it, it, you, I I learned a great deal about discipline while I was working on it so it kind of taught me how to be you know how to sit down and do it every day and bottle washer okay, in creating this whole tome for this enormous project, how much of a role did your editors or editor play, and as well as beloved family, I'm guessing, who maybe be read from the pages? And- well, I had a I before drawn and Quarterly saw it, I had a number of early readers, including my Wayne and some friends and my my book agent um, who all chimed in and and helped shape the story originally. But once it got to the point where I was uh, doing the 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 drawing, you know drawn and quarterly. They just stayed out of my way, which was great.
0: Yeah, it's really um, great.
1: I've had a lot of a lot of different experiences with editors in through my life, and um, the best ones can you know point out things that weren't obvious to you, and or, you know like take this panel and switch it over here, or like no, this this is the punchline here, and you go oh yeah right, uh, and I appreciate that. And then there's you know editors who don't know what they're doing and do all kinds of dumb stuff, but. Honestly, they just they just let me be.
0: Yeah, Johnny Quarterly is amazing. They're, they are an artist friend. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: hey,
1: hey, hey. Well, I was pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like monumentally stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I took a lot of uh, unnecessary chances and slept with the wrong people, and and um, you know, if I had it to do over again, I, I wouldn't, you know, do that. Um, <laughs> for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was like a kind of, I, my own naivete astonished me. <laughs> yeah.
2: Have you sold something to the New Yorker before you moved there?
1: Um, no, not the not the New Yorker, the, the National La- Lampoon. National Lampoon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sherry Flanagan was the um, cartoon editor there, and she she became an important mentor to me, and she was the one who urged me to move there, um, and um, I actually went to visit a couple of times and kind of like got a foot in the door, and you know.
0: What year was that?
1: That was eighty, uh, like eighty one.
2: Was she Trotz and Vine?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: I mean, that was a big deal back then, getting in the National Lampoon. That was like getting in Saturday Night Live. You know, that was like hot stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and P.J. O'Rourke was a huge fan of Mimi's and was one of her champions there at the
1: Lampoon. Yes. What is the period of time it covers 1978
2: to 1982. 78
1: to okay. So... I have this theory called the art of a task where when an artist
2: commits to uh, doing like a page a day of something, or, you know, what you've done, full length commitment like our Crumb did with Genesis, like Matt Kish did with Moby Dick, illustrations for every page, sort of thing, that you start out doing the task, but then at some point it switches and the task does you. Does you. And I'm just wondering what the book kind of. Could you talk more about what it
1: taught you, like that relationship that you have with the with the art and how it changed it at all? Um, I well I, you know it it taught me to have more discipline and um, it taught me more about pacing um, and how to give a story the room it needs. Um, I've been uh, doing some pieces for the New Um recently and uh, they're you know, just web comics and the, just right after I finished working on The Customer's Always Wrong, I, I uh, did started doing some pieces for them and I think what I, the great thing about doing web comics is that you don't have any um, limitations on, on the size of how long something could be and I've been used to working in print as long as I did used to being very constrained by having like only so much room to work with like I was doing cartoons for the LA Times uh, opinion page on Sundays and they you know it was like this big and was like eight panels at the best and you had to like jam all your ideas into that and um, with a webcomic you could just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and um, the great thing was, was that I was, able, I was able to like tell a story exactly as long as it needed to be and um, working on over on the customer's always wrong really taught me how to how to do that how to like give air around scenes and pauses and you know important you know little emotional moments and stuff like that so does that answer your question yeah okay see.
2: Do you do you do a lot of thumbnailing or, or yes. storyboarding? Oh yeah,
1: um, I I started out doing uh, I had the the manuscript the original written version, and I worked on tracing paper because it's cheap and it's easy to erase, and I would do pages on that in in pencil um, and. Mostly, you know, I, I, I could erase it over and over because it's kind of, it's easy to erase and it doesn't get, you know, all gum, you know, hole in it from erasing it too much. Um, so I was, I, I have huge stacks of, of tracing paper, pencil sketches of all the pages that are in a box.
2: how do you know when to stop? I mean, you're, you have so much to tell.
1: Well, I mean, this, you know, the story was already written, so it had already, you know, um, it, it's just, uh, um, it, that was like the roadmap, map, and then uh, visually, I just always knew in my head what it looked like. So it just kind of told me what it wanted. Yeah.
2: What's
1: next? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I keep saying, and a lot of people say the same thing. You should follow Madge to New York City, and your response is, "There's not enough." There,
1: there's not enough drama. I got to New York and where's the dog. Oh, she's out. <laughs> but but there is,
0: drama. there is, there's, there's enough drama, uh, and it's an. I'll an, just um, say
1: I was much happier because I met Wayne White. <laughs> And I wasn't like a club kid, I wasn't, you know, people think, oh, Madge is out like partying with Jean-Michel Basquiat, like, no, I I pretty much was in bed by 10.
0: (laughs) But it could be a chronicle of the times in a way, you know, it was a fascinating time, the early 80s, mid 80s. Madonna stole my look. That's right. It's a Bitch stole see? my look. There you go. There's one There's gag the t- right there. There's the title. Bitch stole my funny. look. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Because Madonna was living in our neighborhood and yeah. Mimi used to do the cute little.
1: You t- know, the tie and bow and all hair, that. Big chunky jewelry. And all of a sudden I like saw this video. I was like, hey, wait a minute.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I
1: assume your kids are close to the age of
2: the character in the book. Yeah, they're 22 and 25. Are like, when am I
1: meeting Michael Fuller? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? They're both—they're both so much smarter. Than they're they both—they're
0: both, you know, s- smart kids, <laughs> and uh, you know, they're—they're they're not crazy. Right,
2: but they learned, i mean, you know, this must be some of it. Like
1: yeah, I mean, you know, everyone, everyone has their their uh, mistakes they make in their youth and their stories that happen to them in their youth. You know, so it's you know for them it'll be something else. Um, but I, I still think that they're both a lot have a lot more common sense than either one of us had. Mm-hmm. Yep, Way more than me, I
2: think. <laughs> the young person that is kind of in uh, like a crazy scene and, and maybe sort of of it, but not necessarily. I mean, Madge is, is an observer in a lot of ways and she's sort of like a moral compass in a lot of ways for a lot of the characters in
1: the book. And uh, Well, I definitely wasn't as fucked up as a lot of the people that work
2: there. <laughs> Like to kind of be in a lot of situations that broaden my perspective and challenge my experience, but it's but because of my own personality or you know a lot of different reasons, I don't necessarily participate to the full extent as, as much as the people that I'm surrounded by. And Madge kind of, kind of.
1: Uh, well, Madge is braver than I was. Yeah. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs>
2: Well, it's interesting because it's like it's, it's like how do you tell a story? Because you have to have some kind of coherent viewpoint into what you're what you're observing, as well as you know, as well as being a part of like not not so separate that you
1: don't like know where you are. Well, so, Vanessa Davis is like the queen of autobiocomics, in case you don't know. But Vanessa. It's a, it's a one-word answer, fiction. <laughs> you can make shit up. You can lie, and it's okay. Because <laughs> it's fiction. <laughs> You might, want to, you might want to try it. Yeah. It's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So it is a work of fiction? Or- oh, it's a work of fiction. It's absolutely There's a work There's a lot of, of truth stuff. It's inspired it? by true life. <laughs> it's, it's as they say in the TV movies, inspired by true life events.
0: It's a romance. What's that, what's that ter- term? Yeah,
1: Romana Clef.
0: Romana Clef.
1: Yeah.
2: Were there a lot of other books and comics that you were reading and getting influence from while you were...
1: Um, I'll tell you the the one book that finally made me realize that I could do this was Alison Bechtel's Fun Home. It was like f- I was finally the 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 one graphic novel I looked at where I was like, oh yeah, like that. <laughs> so that was very helpful because I mean I was looking at a lot of stuff, but it didn't nothing resonated until I saw that. And then since there then there've been more more. Stuff that that I find that I relate more to like Vanessa's work. Um, I Mean there's it's a huge genre, so there's a a vast spectrum of of stuff, but I like sort of you know literary uh, Literary stories, you know based on true life experiences um, More than I mean you can go in a you know all, there's all kinds of graphic novels. It, you know, it's the sky's the limit, but I like the things that are sort of based in reality. But it's also dialogue-based,
2: so
1: maybe not
2: option
1: for a screenplay, but it certainly could be like Allison's of, uh, show. Yeah. Musical. It's Who a screenplay. It? <laughs> 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 or both, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Yes. I can barely hear you. Uh-huh. Like How
2: long was that Um
1: I don't I don't recall exactly. I mean I remember knowing that it was important for me to get every all the characters. Uh, down before I began I don't know, a few weeks of just like there were some people who who looked like, or definitely based on, real life people, and then there were there were other characters. There were like some short order cooks who were like amalgams. There were so many people that worked there. If I'd done it as as nonfiction, it would have been like a Russian novel. Um, <laughs> there like you know, dozens of, fr- of short order cooks, and you know, dozens of waitresses, and busboys, and to drug dealers just went on and on, <laughs> so I, you know, you had to like smash like ten short order cooks into like three of them. So, and and you know, you you use whatever qualities they have that best serve your story. So, um, you know, it, some of them are are just uh, completely made up, but have the spirit of like seven or eight different people. <laughs>